Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Rotters Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, drive a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. Start again with the name that you write under and your three series. I apologize. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So I write under two names. I write as Melissa Bourbon and Winnie Archer. So I have... Uh, This series, which is the Magical Dressmaking Mystery Series that I write as Melissa Bourbon. And this was my first cozy series. Um, I do have some other things out there that came first, but this was my first cozy series when I feel like my career kind of went somewhere. And it's done with six books. And Mm -hmm. I just am getting the rights back right now. So Mm -hmm. in the fall, August, September, late summer, fall, I'm going to be re-releasing them with new covers and continuing the series, which I'm really excited about because the main character is named Harlow Cassidy. And Harlow, it was a name that I just loved. And when I was thinking of surnames to go with it, I landed on Cassidy. And then I was thinking, and I just had this brainstorm moment that clued me into the fact that she was a descendant of Butch Cassidy in an alternate history. And the female descendants of Butch are slightly charmed, a little magical uh, in various ways. So like the mother is a goat whisperer, for example, (laughs) Uh, because of a wish that Butch made in an Argentinian fountain. So there's a little bit of history thrown in, you know, one of the books touches on Bonnie and Clyde who went through our area where I lived in Texas at the time. So that I love this series and I'm really excited to be able to start continuing it again. And that's the seamstress, right? Magical uh, dressmaking mistress. Yes, mysteries, mistress. Um, she, Harlow, it grew up in this small town, Bliss, Texas, which is a fictional town, and had dreams of Project Runway, went to New York and, you know, ended up not making it there and coming mm-hmm. back and opening a little dressmaking shop. And uh, the clothing that she makes kind of fulfills the wishes or dreams of the people that she makes them for. So that's her magical gift. Mm -hmm. And then there's a little, little thread of a ghost, her grandmother, Mima, who recently passed. That's what brought her back. So she, Mm -hmm. she just, you know, makes little things happen once in a while. Nothing, nothing big. It's not like a paranormal mystery. It just has a little thread. I think my sister would be very interested in that because she also, uh, loves to make clothes and things. And I imagine there are a lot of people who might be thwarted seamstresses out there who can do a little bit of stitchery and they would like it. Yeah. Uh, tell me about your second series. Okay. Um, so then came uh, the bread shop mysteries, which I write as Winnie Archer. Winnie is my dad's mother's name and Archer is a family name on my mom's side. And I wrote, write this under a different name because it's with a different publisher and they wanted to release it uh-huh. as a debut, you know, with a brand new name. So that's the story behind that. Uh, so this one is about Ivy Culpepper, who, you know, in, in true cozy tradition has this heroine who comes back home. <laughs> so she was in Texas and comes back home to her coastal central 
a coastal California town. I was born and raised in California. So that's wow. why I'm going to sit there. Uh, and she ends up staying, you know, something brings her back and she ends up staying. And she, uh, in, in dealing with some grief that she's going through, finds her way to this bread shop, Yeast of Eden. And and meets Olaya Solis, who is the owner. And uh, they, so Ivy kind of becomes an apprentice in a way. She's also a photographer. So she dabbles in her photography, allows her to do some things in town, but she's always at the bread shop and she's Mm -hmm. learning to bake and it becomes very cathartic for her. And um, she learns just this whole bread making process. So these books all have recipes in them as well. And everyone who got involved in bread making over the last two years will love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The shortage on yeast didn't happen in the fiction. (laughs) (laughs) And the the eighth book in this series, which is bread over troubled water. And I don't have a copy. I love that. Yeah, and it's a it's a great cover. It's so cute. Uh, it features Agatha the pug, who is modeled after my pug Bean. <laughs> um, but Agatha, of course, is named after Agatha Christie, whose books right. I read in high school. And so he, so Agatha's featured prominently, pro, uh, prominently. What's the word? Prominently <laughs> on that cover. He, Agatha's on all of the covers. You can see the little pup. But more prominently on bread over troubled water. And so that book comes out at the end of November. And then the most active series that I have is the Book Magic Mysteries. I love this series so, so much. So it features Pippin, Pippin Lane Hawthorne. I'll keep holding it up. Pippin Lane (laughs) Hawthorne, who is a bibliomancer. And in the first book, she discovers that it's something she, she didn't know it growing uh-huh. up. Um, so there's an ancient Irish curse that carries over the entire series. And right. then each book, of course, is resolved in, in its own way. But that uh-huh. curse and that overarching plot carries on. And the fourth book, Murder and an Irish Curse, is what I'm working on right now. <laughs> Um, so Pippin and her brother Gray are named after Tolkien characters because their dad, Leo, wow. is a big Tolkien mm-hmm. aficionado. So she's Peregrine called Pippin and he's Gray after Gandalf. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, she's got to figure out some things about how this bibliomancy works. Bibliomancy is an ancient divination. It dates, you know, way, way, way back, but prompt most notably to Nostradamus and basically mm-hmm. you put a book on its spine a book that has a broken spine (laughs) and you (laughs) let it fall open and whatever page it falls to, you know, you, something you zero in on something and it helps you foretell the future or tell something about the past. And so Mm -hmm. you learns how to use this divination and it helps her solve a mystery that she come, you know, that she happens to need to solve in the first book. And where does she get the books? Uh, you're not creating those books, are you, from scratch? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Right. No, I'm using classic <laughs> books. So this uh, book relies quite a bit on the Odyssey, uh, which okay. is a book that I love. And then um, another book, the second one, uh, uses Gulliver's Travels and Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. And then the next one uses The Secret Garden and The Little Princess. Right. And, 
Um, still figuring out actually a little bit about what the next one that I'm working on is going to use. So that's sort of in process, but it's very fun to figure out which books to use and then how to find the quotes and the, the passages that will say something that will help her wow. solve this crime mm -hmm. and then have her be able to interpret them because, you know, she interprets whatever she's seeing through her own lens and her own schema and her own background, you know, and so it's mm -hmm. somewhat limited, you know, so she, so, so you don't know, has she interpreted it correctly? That's one thing her brother tells her at the beginning is like, you don't even know if you're, if you're interpreting that correctly, how do you know, you know, because it's subjective because, you know, it's, how do you like know it's on the left way. hand side of the page as opposed to on the right hand side. Right. Of the page. <laughs> how yeah. do you figure all that out? How did you get started with the idea of bibliomancy? So I have a good friend. Her name is Wendy Lynn Watson, and she's also a writer. She writes um, the Ice, uh, Ice Cream a la Mode series is Wendy Lynn Watson, and she has a pet boutique as Annie Knox. And mm -hmm. we lived a block apart from each other when I was in Texas. I'm now in North Carolina. Oh, I should say that this one is set on the Outer Banks of North Carolina on a fictional <laughs> island called Devil's Cove, which is very important. <laughs> So uh, it has this coastal setting and there uh, the island is located between the mainland and the barrier islands and between the four sounds that run through there. So, um, yeah, so I'm in North Carolina now, but at the time we were both in Texas and we would go for walks and she had been to a conference where they had talked about these various divinations and that's where she learned about bibliomancy and she was just excited about it and came home and we talked it through on our walks you know we brainstormed and initially we were going to write the series together but some things happened and changed and so I just ended up taking it over um, uh -huh. but that's how it came about because she had been to this conference and learned about this divination okay so you have this enchanting element in this bibliomancy series right. and in the the seamstress series is the bread shop magical also um, you, you have to, <laughs> um, how much I remember to thread that in, <laughs> Olaya, you know, yeah, there is a level kind of like in the dressmaking books, Olaya, who owns Yeast of Eden, kind of bakes into the bread, what somebody needs to heal or to ah or you know so if you're forlorn if you have a broken heart you know and you come in sh whatever you take is going to help heal that that sort of thing right. mm -hmm. very very subtle and really not talked about very often except more as a you know she's she's known far and wide you know there's this lore about the bread shop and even that's mm -hmm. not talked about very much so right. I would say it, it's there as a very thin thread but not a part of the series really Okay. How did you begin your publishing journey? Did you have a publisher first or did you have an agent first? And, and how did that develop? Okay. Well, um, I was an English language arts teacher for middle school. Uh -huh. And uh, this was a long time ago. So my first son was born in 1992 and then my second in 1994 and they're 21 months apart. And it didn't take my husband and I long to figure out that most of my salary was going to daycare. Mm -hmm. So I ended up uh, leaving the classroom and, and staying home with the kids, which was great. That's what I wanted to do. You know, we were having kids and I wanted to be the one to raise them. And, but what I realized was number one, that a lot of my identity was tied up with being a teacher and I was no longer mm -hmm. that. 
And I needed something to keep my brain active in toddler baby world, you know, other than play groups. <laughs> Uh, so that's when I started writing and this was really before the big YA craze. There was not a lot available for middle grade young adult readers. And yeah. so I thought, well, I'll come up with something that my own students might want to read. So uh-huh. I came up with this idea, which I still think is a fun idea. I would do it differently now, but fun idea of this classroom who gets transported back in time to Ellis Island and, you know, <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, got a lot of wonderfully personalized rejections before I even knew that that was important or, yeah. or something to be lauded. Like, oh, they took the time to write something. I didn't know anything. And so then I joined RWA because they just had so many great resources. So I learned I did. a lot through them. And um, then, you know, we kept having kids, <laughs> so I have five all together. And when my youngest was born, a friend and I started going out to a coffee shop every other week or so, and, and she wanted to write also. And we just started writing from prompt books. You know, we would pick uh-huh. a prompt and write and share and, you know, just use our brains. And before long, I had a character and before long, that character had a brother and before long, they had a family. And as I was thinking about, wow, I could put this into a book. I mean, like, I really could do that. What kind of book would I do? And, you know, I grew up on the Bobsy Twins and Nancy Drew Mm -hmm. and all of that and Agatha Christie all through high school. And so the obvious answer was to create a mystery, which is what I did. So it obviously took several years to write that series and, and the first, the first two sold in 2008. And um, so it, you know, did okay. Didn't ever take off, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but that is, so I, let me back up. So I had um, pitched to agents. I did have an agent and initially she felt like we should take the book more on the romance side and less on the mystery side. So a romance with a little mystery thread and it just never sold. So then uh, I just revised it back to mystery with a little romance thread, Jack Callahan. (laughs) And um, I ended up leaving her and going with her assistant who went off on her own as an agent. And so I've been with her all of these years and uh, she sold that book within about three months. So unfortunately, like I said, it just didn't take off, but it did sell with an agent. And then uh, after a while, my agent is the one who suggested that I start a cozy series. Like, I think your voice would fit really well with a cozy series. And I was like, what's a cozy? I had no idea. (laughs) So I started researching and that's when I landed on the magical dressmaking mystery series. You know, there were a million bakeries out there and cupcakes and cookies and knitting shops and all of that sort of thing. And so when I was trying to think of what my hook could be, I came up with sewing because my mom taught me to sew when I was in elementary school. I sewed all of my bridesmaids dresses with a friend. We sewed all of my bridesmaids dresses. We had eight bridesmaids. That's amazing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, I sewed, you know, baby clothes that my kids chuckle at still. Mm -hmm. So I, it's not like I'm a great seamstress, but I do know how to sew and I enjoyed it Mm -hmm. during that time period. And, and so that felt really like a great path to take. And then I was also really into project runway at the time. And so that's uh, sort of the other element. So Harlow 
is a small town Texas girl who goes to New York to try and make it as a dressmaker and ends up for a particular reason coming back and then opening the bread shop back home. So that's how I transitioned into cozies. And then this series is not cozy, really. It's got a few cozy elements like the bibliomancy in the small town, but mm-hmm. it, I would say it's more a traditional mystery with some magical realism in it. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of moving away from cozies somewhat, except right. I'm going to start writing the dressmaking books again. So I'm super excited about that. Okay. Uh, what is your writing process like? When How do you develop an idea and then start writing it? And what do you do when you finally let it go? Well, the writing, the beginning of any book is really tough for me. My brain does not work in a super orderly logical fashion so I mm-hmm. cannot I have a friend Diane Kelly also great cozy <laughs> writer <laughs> whose brain does work that way and so she can sit down and spend a couple of days and plot an entire book with all of these details and and I just I just can't do it like I've I tried and I cannot do it that way I can get key plot points and some key characters and and know some key scenes to start with but you know, so much of what happens, happens very organically for me. And so I'll write and something will come to mind and I'll, you know, I, I know the trajectory of the story and I know like who done it and stuff like that, wow. but I'm able to fill in a lot and have these, aha, what I think are brilliant aha moments as I'm writing. So for example, as I was writing through an, a murder through an open door, which was the last bread shop series and wow. um, book that came out this year as I was thinking about well okay let me back up so I named Pippin's mother who uh is featured in the novella the secret on run runner's lane rum runner's mm-hmm. lane that's a tongue twister that was a mistake <laughs> to name a book that <laughs> so her story is featured in that novella and the prologue tells a little bit about her too and I named her Cassie Cassandra and you know, that just like came to mind. And so I named her that. And it was only later that I was looking it up that I realized, first of all, from the Odyssey and, <laughs> um, you know, secondly, mythology, that she is a prophet. A prophet. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh my God, how did that even happen? You know? <laughs> and then the Odyssey was sitting on my table because my son was reading it for school and we had multiple copies from all the kids. So that led me to like, oh my gosh, she was a prophet she's in this book. We got to like, you know, make these connections. So, you know, I had the general making of this curse and not really how it was going to be broken and not really how it started, just a general idea of, you know, it started Mm -hmm. in the first century, stuff like that. And as I research, I just come upon these things that I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. I could not have planned it better you know Mm -hmm. and that just actually happened when I was working on the latest book and I'm still thinking like how are they going to break this curse how are they going to break this curse I just don't know how they're going to break this curse and I went for a change of scenery to my friend Teresa's art gallery or art studio and um you know she had this I won't say what it is but this object and it just triggered something in me I was like okay I think I can do something with that. And then I started researching and then I found the actual like Irish answer. And so I was like, oh my God. Oh my. Yeah. And I just get chills sometimes because it, it happens that way. And I just, um, 
in awe sometimes at how the puzzle pieces end up fitting together. So that's, that's my process, <laughs> such as it is. So you depend on, you pantser basically, and you draw from everything around you and you just stay aware to yeah. what's going on around you and you yeah. look for things. Yeah, I would say I'm hybrid because I do have a general outline. I mean, I know where the story begins, kind of where it's going. I know what the you know murder is going to be. And then I know who did it and how it ends. Although details around all of that may shift and then everything gets fleshed out. And that's the pantsing part. Right. How do you maintain productivity? Uh, do you set like a number of words per day or do you a time period? Yeah, I um. I am one of those people who just can't sit around and be happy writing for whatever reason. I'm always thinking, okay, what else can I be doing? <laughs> Not like chores or crafts, but in my career. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I do have a daily goal of 2000 words, which mm-hmm. usually I hit somewhere between 1500 and 2000. Um, you know, some days I don't get there it just sort of depends because some days, you know, the magic isn't happening. And I'm like, I'm not really sure what to write. So I'm just going to move on to something else. Um, but so I recently launched a writing academy. It's called Writer Spark Academy. And I have courses to teach writing because I mentioned I joined RWA and I don't write romance. Right. And, um, you know, we went to conference, my friends and I went to conferences and, and um, heard speakers and stuff like that. And that's how I learned. And then just doing and working with my agent and my editors But, you know, it was a 15 year learning process. Mm -hmm. It was a steep hill. And I am very much a pay it forward kind of a person. And so I started this writing academy and these online self-paced courses kind of with the idea of, you know, sharing everything that I've learned over the last Mm -hmm. 15 years of writing 15 plus and, and condensing it into like the essential elements of, mm-hmm. of how you craft a book, how you craft a story, how you created a compelling character, you know, how you structure a plot. I'm a big proponent of the hero's journey and I right. use the hero's journey a lot. Um, so, so that, you know, so I, so I'm now really trying to balance my time between writer spark Academy and writing. So I tend to, and this just sort of happened organically, but I tend to do like the blogging and the social media and uh, newsletters and stuff like that in the morning. And then by about 1230, I shift to my creative writing, uh, my wow. word. Count. And then I write to, you know, it just depends Four thirty-five, six depends on how, how those words are coming <laughs> sometimes longer. You know, my husband's got a late night or something. I'll make some dinner and walk the dogs and keep going. Um, I'm, I would say I'm a workaholic. So even after I'm done working, I go back to the computer and I'm like, what else can I do? (laughs) That may be the teacher discipline because when you're teaching, I remember from my 30 years at it, it was all the time. Yeah. Even when you were home, you were not turned off on teaching. Right. Um, You were talking to me about the writing spark Academy. Mm -hmm. um, And you mentioned about the idea of paying it forward, which I think is very important. That may be part of the teacher in us. Mm-hmm. You'll always be moving forward with something. How do you set up your academy? What What's it like for someone who's interested in it? Um, so there are sort of two parts to it. There's the website slash blog that is writersparkacademy.com. Mm-hmm. And 
on the website, I um, have articles, posts about craft, um, the hero's journey broken down. So I'm creating a database of movies and books that break down the hero's journey and those um, examples into the 12 steps. Um, you know, resources for writers. So there's that and there's a newsletter you can sign up for. And mm -hmm. then the courses are on a teaching platform, teachable.com, which you can also access from the website. Um, but it's actually, it's WriterSpark Writing Academy at teachable.com. Better to just go to the website, WriterSpark <laughs> Academy. <laughs> um, but the courses are delivered through modules. They're self-paced uh -huh. and they, you know, they cover different things. So the first one that I launched is called what was called 30 days to craft your novel, but I've since changed it recently, kind of rebranding it to ready, set, right. right. And, mm -hmm. um, it covers, because I think people were getting the wrong idea that, Oh, I'm going to write a book in 30 days. You know, that's not, wasn't what it was about. It's about mm -hmm. getting all the foundation for that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So it's now ready, set, right. And, and it is all the foundational stuff that you need to start your writing and to really, you know, take off with it because there are so many components. It's like juggling, you know, and you have to figure out how they work together. Mm -hmm. And so it's broken into four weeks. And the first is on character development. We start with the antagonist, you know, and any book, I feel like the antagonist needs to be well-defined and come first because everything that the protagonist does in, is in response to yes. the antagonist. So and it's quite a while before the protagonist becomes active right? And, and acting rather than reacting to what the antagonist is doing. Exactly. Especially when you follow the hero's journey, which mm -hmm. I do. So I, I use this, There's another week that covers story structure. And so I cover the three act structure and right. the hero's journey. And then I combine them to show how they really work together. Right. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's a pretty uh, robust, dense week. I would say they're, they're all, I mean, it's a lot of great content. The next mm -hmm. week is sort of those essential elements like mood and tone and dialogue and voice and, and point of view. And then the last week is about scenes and scenes, scene and sequel and how you, you know, take these ideas now and, and put them into scenes and things like that. So, so that's the first big class. And um, then I have how to, the field guide to writing a cozy mystery. So I took, <laughs> you know, I've written my 26th book came out this year. My 27th is uh, Murder and an Irish Curse coming out in September. And then my that's 28th. Fantastic. Thank you. And then my 28th, The um, Bread Over Troubled Water is coming out in November. So that's 28 mm -hmm. books. Uh, most of the mysteries. Uh, and so I, I feel like, you know, I have an idea of how this works. <laughs> and so uh, this course, the field guide to writing a cozy mystery is also self-paced also in wow. modules and it covers everything from creating the sleuth to the villain, to the red herrings, to the supporting characters, to uh -huh. the other potential um uh, villains, you know, to the victim, mm -hmm. all of it. So that is, takes you all the way through writing a cozy mystery. And then the third course, which launches in July is on memoir writing. I'm just really into memoirs lately. My parents recently, we, we went through this process 
and they wrote these beautiful memoirs that we mm-hmm. turn into books through Kendall Publishing, which is wow. so that course will go through the process of writing the memoir and then and creating a final product when you're ready. You know, you'll you'll the, you have access to these courses forever. So when you're done writing, you can come back and then go through that process of of taking it to that actual physical book, which is cool. And that that re-seeing it. Um, I, I tried several years ago to figure out how to write a short story. Now I taught short stories, mm-hmm. but writing one is completely different from understanding the structure. Oh, yeah. And so I, I went through several different kinds of short story structures and nothing clicked. And this year in January, I decided to go through something I had done years ago. I went through it a second time and all of a sudden it was like, boing. My brain understood it. And so I have written seven short stories since then. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Sort of whipping them out like that. It's, a, it's been amazing to me. Yeah, so it's that like idea, that light bulb goes off and, and you've got it. Right. Yeah. And then that idea of teachable, where you can go back and relook at modules, repay attention to what it is. Maybe you'll see something you have not seen it before. Right. And that's so important. That's that recursive learning that we talk about all the time when yeah. we're in our education mode. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a great platform and, you know, it's a new venture for me. So it's early days that I have a, a Facebook group for people who are taking the course and there's about mm-hmm. 40 people in there now and, you know, trying to get that kind of active and engaged. And then I pulled out some of the content. So I created some mini courses, one on the hero's journey, one on dialogue, wow. for example, mm-hmm. um, Yes. I mean, it's so fun though. I really love tapping into my teacher self in a way that connects to what I do for a living. Right. That sounds very, very intriguing. Um, How, how do you get the word out about that? Besides this little uh, podcast right here, how else do you get the word out about it? You know, to be perfectly honest, it's very difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, marketing is a whole nother ball game and Mm -hmm. It just takes an awful lot of time. So uh, locally, I teach courses. Well, I'm starting in August to teach courses at one of our local art centers. So wow. that the memoir course specifically. Um, so that's mm-hmm. one way. And then through the Facebook pages and the website and word of mouth and a little bit through Sisters in Crime. But, you know, it's hard. You can't you know, really self-promote. Yes. Um, and, and other Facebook groups, you know, you can't really self-promote and you don't, I wouldn't want to just like throw my stuff out there either. So it's figuring out how to engage authentically and, and uh-huh. it just all takes time. Like I love doing it all. I just need more hours in the day. You know, it's like we need a 42 hour day instead yes. of a 24 hour day. <laughs> I still probably wouldn't get everything done I that I, I have lined up in my head. Right. Um, so I don't know, like I'm going to advertise uh, in the RWA e-notes coming up. Right. So, you know, it, it's a challenge, but I think it's it's sort of a long game. And I know that, you know, it's just going to really be word of mouth, I think, ultimately, as people take the course and, and have writer friends. They're like, oh, my gosh, yeah, you should take this course. Have you thought about taking the the like the memoir course and turning it into a, a self-published book that you could put up through draft to digital? Yeah, so I have thought about that and I don't want to sort of cannibalize my online course with a book quite Ah. yet, but I think eventually I will, but I did create two workbooks, which I don't think I happen to have here, unfortunately, Um, but I did create two workbooks, one for each of the two courses, and I'll be creating Ah. one for the memoir course that 
has all of the downloadables. So each module uh-huh. comes with, you know, worksheets or, you know, handouts or infographics and all of this content to, you know, look at, learn, internalize, and then also work on. So I took all of that and created these companion workbooks and those are available currently on Amazon and okay. I'll, I'll maybe put them wide at some point. We'll see. But um, yeah, so I have that, which has been a lot of fun too. It's like everything Mm -hmm. is a learning experience, you know, in a a new and different way. And I just, I'm learning this Zoom process. Yeah. Um, And just this morning, I learned that, okay, not only can I trim the videos, but I can put things at the front, the back and in the middle and, and all sorts of things. And so I'm, I'm I'm sort of a tech geek, my sister says, Mm -hmm. uh, because I like learning about things of that nature. Well, that was, yeah, that was a huge part of preparing the lessons for these yeah. courses because I had to learn how to write the script. I use a teleprompter on my phone. I have the whole light set up and everything um, and the recording and then the editing process. I use Camtasia. So I mm-hmm. edit through Camtasia and then upload, but it, it, you know, you make mistakes. And so I'm cutting and dicing and adding, uh, you know, graphics and different things. So it was a real process to learn how to do that. And it's getting faster and I'm getting better at the, the recording of the video. So eventually I'll circle back around and probably redo some of those. Early <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it is a steep learning curve with some of the tech. Yeah. And then now I'm doing, um, craft chats. So that's a new new thing. So talking with um, published authors about a one specific topic. So Mm -hmm. talked with Annette Dashafi last week on writing the villain. And then uh, next week, it'll be Heather Redmond on writing historical mysteries. And then I Mm -hmm. have um, Ellen Byron that I've chatted with and her video, that craft chat will come out in a couple of weeks. And that's on what she learned in the writer's room in Hollywood, you know, so like little half an hour snippets that are really specific to craft Mm -hmm. topics. And that's just, you know, on YouTube, one more way to gain some exposure and then also pay it forward. So, you know, if you're writing an historical mystery and you love Heather Redmond's Charles Dickens series, Dickens of a crime series, which are so amazing. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, 30 minutes, I can hear what she says about writing historicals, which is, I think, just, right. you know, kind of cool. There's an awful lot of content out there. Sometimes it feels like a needle in a haystack, but, you know, I'm just adding <laughs> my part to it. <laughs> and, so, and somebody may stumble on it and go like, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. now I understand it. <laughs> right, exactly. Tell me what you think is the best tool, writing tool that you use. Some people have talked about when you're constructing ideas, when you, um, some people have talked about spreadsheets, some people swear by Scrivener. Mm-hmm. Um, Elaine talked about her ergonomic desk. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. what would you say is your best tool? Um, I would say Scrivener. I wrote until about five years ago on Word, just a word, mm-hmm. you know, chronologically, linear, linearly straight through the story. And then I, you know, tossed around the idea of Scrivener and I, you know, I would look at it and go, oh, I have to learn that. I don't know. I'll do it later. You know, and finally <laughs> I bit the bullet and tried it out and it was really freeing for me because it really showed me and made it very, very easy to write out of order. And I'm, wow. a, I have become a big proponent of writing out of order. 
because number one, sometimes I don't know how the book's going to start, or I don't know what happens next, but I know this other scene. And so why am I going to wait to write that other scene before while I'm stuck here, you know, I'm going to jump ahead. And the way Scrivener's organized, it's just very, very easy to, Mm -hmm. to organize that kind of content. And then when you export it, it compiles it all in whatever order you've put it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I love that about it. And with the murder and an Irish curse, which I'm in the middle of writing, in fact, I started in the, I started at the end. I started with the climax because I had in my head how this climax was going to unfold and it was very Mm -hmm. atmospheric. And I was like, okay, I just want to write this. So I started there and then I hit a couple of the major turning points. And only then did I go back to the beginning and I've just been jumping around, (laughs) you know, in this whole book, but it's been, it's actually been a super fun to figure out what are these in-between scenes? How am I going to get from here that I already wrote to here that I already wrote? What's the Mm -hmm. in-between stuff? And um, yeah, so I love Scrivener. And, you know, you can make color-coded labels to say this scene is finished, green dot. This scene is in progress, blue dot. (laughs) I love that kind of stuff. Oh, I would go crazy with that. (laughs) Colorizing everything. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I can make my my page cream colored or purple if I wanted to. You know, I mean, I like that little visual cue too. Mm -hmm. It's just, it makes my my screen work environment kind of fun. So, yeah. We talked briefly about your process and how you develop ideas. And you talked briefly about maintaining productivity. What do you think is the hardest thing um, when you get into writing a book? What is the hardest thing that keeps you motivated and going forward with it? Um, I think liking what you're writing. Mm-hmm. You know, and really liking the genre, liking the characters you've created, liking the world that you're working in. You mm-hmm. know, with my very first books, that first series, I just couldn't wait to get to my computer because it felt like I was hanging out with friends and wow. with, and with this series, the book magic series, that's how I feel. I'm like, I love this world where there's this magical realism and this bibliomancy and, and living on the coat, mo- the dressmaking, I'm oh, sorry, not the dressmaking, the um, bread shop takes place on the California coast and then mm-hmm. magic on the North Carolina coast. I like the coast. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I love that coastal environment. So I, I, I love the books and the stories. I think mm-hmm. if you don't like what you're writing, it's going to show through and it's going to make it harder and right. mm-hmm. go through that process. So I think that's probably the biggest motivator for me is that I, I want to see what happens next, how it unfolds. And I've, I don't reread a lot of my books, but I have reread a couple. I have these two um, romantic suspenses, kind of like suspense thrillers called, uh, um, what are they called? Silent Echoes, <laughs> Silent Echoes, and oh my gosh, this is my brain. Uh, <laughs> Silent Echoes and Silent Obsession. That's okay. Menpa's brain right there. Um, and I reread them maybe like two years ago, and I was in bed, and I was just like turning, turning, well, on my neck, turning the page, turning the page. I was like, oh my God, this, what happens next? I, like, I forgot, right? I forgot <laughs> what I had written, and I was like, this is really good. I wrote that. Wow. I'm impressed. <laughs> You know, so I think it's, I'm writing books that I want to read. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that very important. Very motivating. I would say, write the book you want to read. Yeah. Somebody who wants to write, you know, don't write something just because you think it's commercial and it can sell, you know, I mean, that's important. Of course, you don't want to write something that's not going to sell if that's your goal, but 
try and come up with something that's commercial and will sell that you also love that you that's not out there that you want to write right and it helps you maintain your at least for me the curiosity aspect of the story keeps me intrigued by it and helps me keep coming back to what I've been writing yes Um, yeah like I just started this scene today with a character his name is Hugh and he's very (laughs) mysterious he's got like clear eyes translucent eyes and um, you know, and I, it, it's been revealed like who he is in relation to Pippin, but we don't know. Is he a bad guy? Is he a good guy? Where does he fall on the spectrum? I don't know. With those eyes, you've got to make him a good guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, he's a little of both, I would say, but yeah, I just started this scene with him and, and I'm not really sure where it's going to go. I, I know how yeah. I want the scene to end, but how it's mm-hmm. going to unfold and what is revealed. I'm not quite sure yet. You know, so Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to find out. (laughs) Yeah. How do you switch between completely different genres, completely different series, I guess, is the better way to say it. Um, Do you have to put yourself in a mindset for your seamstress series and before you switch to your uh, necromancer, uh, sorry, bibliomancer series? Well, the uh, dressmaking series is done. And the bread Mm -hmm. series is what I've been working on simultaneously with the book magic and the deadlines are staggered. So generally speaking, I can write one, finish it, send it off to my editor at the publishing Mm -hmm. house and then start on the next one. Um, So I'm, I'm really like all in on one book generally, but my, my mind is always thinking, you know, and, and sort of plotting in the background um, so I'm going to be writing, for example, a novella about Hattie Juniper Pickle, who's a character in here. She is a character. And uh, I love that name. You know. <laughs> and so I'm not writing that book now, but I have a Scrivener file open, mm-hmm. open with it. And when I have ideas or there's some detail that I need to remember for that, then I'll pull it over, you know, so yeah. I can kind of um, multitask in that way. But generally speaking, I, I stick with one book at a time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, someone talked about using a musical playlist that helps put them in the that, that setting, at mm-hmm. least. Uh, they associate that, that music with the setting and it helps them go into that. Do you use a musical playlist? I don't. I really don't. I use Brain FM quite a bit, which is um, like like brain music it's supposed to get you into the focus it's kind of like study music so it's right. um, it's got science behind it I don't know if it's real or not but it's got science behind it that's supposed to help you focus so I will put my airpods in and listen to brain fm generally speaking mm-hmm. um anything else it either is distracting or I tune it out right so, yeah. So music in that doesn't, I don't, I don't have a connection to music with the books in the way that a lot of people do. And I've, I've heard that. And I know some people that do feel that way. And it's just not mm-hmm. my way. Okay. Um, I know sometimes it's drowning out the lo- the neighbor's lawnmowers. That's yeah. so essential for me or the yipping dog that's next door. Yeah. You know, I love dogs, but the little yipping that goes on for hours yeah. on the end is so hard. Um, so yeah, right at end, maybe something that I want to to cue into yeah uh, it's, it's great and then you know you can get brain music on Spotify if you pay for or mm-hmm. Apple music or something mm-hmm. um you know they've got that too. I have two sons who are musicians and one creates that kind of study music on Spotify for example right. so um yeah 
it, my dogs are a distraction too, especially the little chug. He's a chihuahua pug mix and he's a little whiner. So <laughs> he drives me crazy. And scratching and whining at your door while you're rotting away. I'll sit on the back of my chair and just whimper. I'm like, what do you want? I don't know what you want. <laughs> I'm in a scene with a guy with translucent eyes. <laughs> I know, right? I'm busy. Um, have we missed talking about anything? Uh, I think I've covered everything that sparked yeah. ideas for questions. Yeah, no, I think we've covered everything. I really, it's been fun being here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, especially when I had the recording club. I cannot remember I did that. Um, and so much for coming into the, the second interview. I think that's great. No, well, uh, thank you. Thank you for being interested in Writer Spark Academy and wanting to talk about it. I mean, I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. Okay. So please send me links. Okay. To your website, um, to your Writer Spark Academy. Okay. Um, definitely, um, maybe a Spotify link for your son's music. Oh, yeah, uh, I will. Uh, and uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Okay. Um, and then after I construct everything together, I'll send all that to you. Okay. Uh, but it may Sounds- take several days for me to do that. Yeah, I get it. Believe me. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Thank you so much, Melissa. It was so nice chatting with you and meeting you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Rock Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers, Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at linkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.